1: Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800 NextStep or text NextStep to 533-42 In Arizona, 1-888-789-7777. Or visit ccpg.org/chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9 with it in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700. Or visit KS Gambling Help ny or text hope ny in new york
2: and welcome into the game central takeover hour presented by firehouse subs here on the game happy halloween everyone tyra west and chris along with you in the herndon chevrolet studios captain dave on the other side of the glass keeping us on the rails and on the air i'll give you an update on our twitter poll for the day as i asked the question earlier candy corn yes or no <laughs> and as of right now it appears that no is leading 61-39. to 39. Uh, Wes, candy corn guy? Yes or no? Take it or leave it. Take, see, I didn't give a middle ground yep. for this specific reason because so many people go there. Like, yeah, I don't care either way. Like, you got to pick one side or the other.
3: Well, first of all, all I have to say is, what's up, Tyler?
2: <laughs> for the We're third time this morning... Not from Spartanburg, though. For the third time this Tyler. morning, I will make it clear, I am not Tyler from Spartanburg. I did not call in and harass Dabo on his call-in show last night.
4: Can we officially adopt that from now on if Tyler says something? He's he's not, He's not. very agreeable. Do you want me to clip that? Oh, but, man, we have got to get the Tyler. You want that
2: on
3: the hotkeys?
4: Yes. No, no, in the opener
3: for we the show. Do that. We yes. Do that. We've got to do that. All right, so if I have to pick a side, though, I will say no on the candy corn because I – I don't think I've ever paid for candy corn. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's
2: something you, people always give to you.
3: I've never, lit- literally, I don't think in my life, I've never gone down the candy aisle and said, give me the candy corn. So, our,
2: our friend Mrs. Hopkins is a big candy corn fan.
3: Doesn't she have candy corn earrings?
2: I think so. Yeah. So I guess she has
4: gone down I the think candy she aisle. Gave, I think, did she and,
2: give us some candy corn out at... Uh, Better homes and gardens the other week. I feel like she did I did not receive any
4: but I, I probably would have been like no thanks, I feel like she gave so. me candy
2: corn one yeah. time yeah.
4: But I feel anyways, like you would remember that
2: I feel I feel like I would Um, But anyways, that's on our Twitter poll 1075 the game on Twitter your thoughts on candy corn Yes, I love it or no, it's disgusting and we'll keep that updated as the day goes along but in reference to what Wes brought up in the conversation uh, Chris and I into last hour with this Dabo Sweeney rant, and he went to a lot of places. Tyler from Spartanburg went to a lot of different places. And Here's the thing, though. I mean, I'm kind of – I guess I'm kind of leaning towards Team Dabo on this. Like, I get where he's coming from, and he was – uh, I mean, he was called out, and he answered accordingly. <laughs> All
3: right, so here's the question. Are we going to have a Twitter slash X response to this where you just pick a side and everybody else is wrong? Are we gonna have a nuanced conversation? Like I, I feel like this is a this is like a barstool sports style back and forth rant between the two guys. Where sure. that style of sports reporting, you don't even care who's right or wrong. You are just like, oh man, it's get inter- this on the internet, uh, clicks WWE. It's entertaining. Like, yes, pick a side and go with it. However. The, the not as fun response, but I think the actual response is Tyler made some points. He did make some that points. That were good, but because he... of the way he presented his argument, his points were lost in kind of his delivery. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then Dabo, to oh. his credit, made some really, really good points about the state of a college football fan in the social media era, but also lost some of the points I would have given him if this was um, the ESPN show that's been on for 20 years where they give the points to...
2: Um, oh, um, uh, highly, is it... Is anyway, high, doesn't it questionable? Is that no, it? No, no, no. Um,
4: um, Around the horn. Around the horn, yeah, around there the you horn. go. That's it. Yeah, yes, I, don't, I he, still don't know how the points work. He lost
3: some points because he got... imagine this, so caught up in himself and pointing out I this, I that, I this, I did this, reading his resume that I thought he lost a little bit of sort of what would have actually been a pretty appropriate, really strong response to it. Because, real quick, yes, you have the resume to run your program the way you want. And people need to acknowledge it is not easy to win in college football. The guys you're playing against, the schools you're playing against, the coaches you're going against, they're making millions of dollars as well. right? However, that also does not mean, as a coach, that you are beyond reproach. That doesn't mean that you cannot be criticized. It's to what level are you going to be criticized, I think, is where the gray area
2: is and the timing of this is interesting because it was just two weeks ago when i i don't know if it was on this specific call-in show or if it was in his press conference but Dabo made the comment prior to the Miami game, which was a game that they ended up losing, um, about, hey, well, maybe we just need to lose some more games, get some of these people off the bandwagon. And I can guarantee you the bandwagon fans are not still sticking around it at 4-4, four and four, but this guy did, and he mentioned it, is a lifelong Clemson fan, you know, going all the way back to the Tommy Bowden era and before that and all that. But, you know, as Chris brought up at the end of the Garnet Trust Hour, when you have a program that suddenly achieves these great heights – the level of expectation from your fan base jumps up to extremely high levels, to where any time you dip below that, even for a short period of time, it instantly becomes unacceptable. Because look, and and Chris mentioned this as well. They've had ten win seasons every year since 2011, basically since he took over. This is second year when they had less than ten wins. Obviously, I have less than that this year. They've been to six college football playoffs, four national championship games, winning two of those national titles. He's one of, what, three coaches in college football with multiple national championships right now and gets paid accordingly because of that. And while, yes, this season is not going the way Clemson fans want it to go, you can't just gloss over everything that he's accomplished. And if he were to leave Clemson today, is he going to come in and have nearly as much success as he's had? No.
4: It, and and the, the success that they did have would largely uh, be on the back of what he has done there. Yes. You'd be walking into a great situation. Facilities that were built under him, being able to recruit to a big trophy case that his leadership produced, right? So um, now somebody could come in there and mess it up. We've seen that at a lot of places. Sure. You know, Florida, and, uh, you
2: know. And when he took over for Tommy Bowden at the end of the 2000s, that it really was little old Clemson. Like, we love to dog him now because he keeps bringing that up, but at that point in time, nobody thought of Clemson as anywhere close to a power in college football, and he quickly turned them into that. Winning 10 games a season, winning ACC championships, eventually getting in, and winning national championships. Like, they have elevated to a way higher level than anyone ever thought they could when he ultimately took over. Like, those kind of things can't just be glossed over here.
3: No, and I but I I think... He was able to land
2: two generational
3: quarterbacks in a row, and you are kind of seeing how hard life can be in college ball without having those guys. And so, I I think if you look at this, and he he had every a lot of what he has said has been true, but as has always been the case with Dabo, sometimes the delivery (laughs) um, rubs people the wrong way because you know you. I think whenever you have as much success as Dabo and his staff did at Clemson, there is a sense of, well, every decision I make is going to be the right one. And I'm just Mm going to continue this because every decision I've made to this point has led to the college football playoff. And you can go back and look at some of their recruiting decisions and look at some of their staff decisions, and you can see, even in his answer, I ain't never failed at nothing you can kind of see a built-in confidence in oneself that is both probably the reason he's succeeded and also probably the reason Clemson's four and four right now. I mean, look at mm-hmm. look at the Steve Spurrier era at South Carolina, not that it went to those heights, but look at some of the decisions that were made where you internally or even externally could sit there and say Man, that decision might come back to bite them, but you're saying, well, hey, they've won 11, they've won 11 games every year at this point the last three years. Clemson probably making, you know, Dabo's making a decision, hey, guys, I got this. And now you're seeing it come back to, to bite them. So I think something like this, there are layers of truth throughout the entire thing on both sides. And depending on if you love or hate Dabo, you're either going to love his rant or be like, oh, he can't handle losing. And... There's probably some truth on on both sides of that. I I think the thing that was said yesterday that is getting completely overshadowed by the rant is, and this is a tweet from Larry Williams, Larry says, another caller expressed pleasure that Dabo says he plans to coach 15 more years. Larry says, quote, or parentheses, assuming that meant at Clemson. Dabo says, quote, I don't know if I'll be here, but I'll be somewhere. Mm-hmm. That has gotten, that tweet got 233,000 views on Twitter slash X according to their probably wrong analytics. But mm-hmm. the views of the rant I've seen have been getting two and five million mm-hmm. yep. views on here. So to me, if I'm a rival recruiter, I'm printing that out on a poster and hanging it in my facility, not really, but I'm I'm pointing to that like hey, Dabo also in this rant said, "Hey, Clemson people are different. They have more appreciation. He's kind of learning Clemson fan base maybe just like every other fan base in college football
4: once you taste success. Success changes everybody." And and I think did it change Dabo a little bit? Maybe. And it d- made him double down on some of his traits that have made him so successful. But, we'll, you know, we'll see if those – the stubbornness, right? They've been very successful because he's stubborn. Right. Will it end up backfiring? It, something else. In that rant, he said, hey, I work for the Board of Trustees. If they want – if they if they tell me to go somewhere else, then I will. And you know what it reminded me of? In a completely different setting, although it, t- it took place on a call-in show – Steve Spurrier in 2012 was dealing with something uh, in the media taking some criticism that was unfair, I think. And he said, hey, I can go to the beach. I can go somewhere else. I don't need this. Right. So very fascinating, though, that Dabo said that.
2: Uh, I have a theory on Dabo's future in coaching. So Saban, let's say Saban retires in, I don't know, two years, right? Somebody takes over after Saban, coaches two, three years, doesn't win a national championship, Teams like eight and four, seven and five, whatever. Run that guy out of town. Dabo becomes the savior in Tuscaloosa to bring them back to
4: those heights. Just my theory. There was a there was a time where I thought that would never happen. I've I've kind of changed on that in the past, probably two years.
2: Yeah, it's very possible.
3: Well, wasn't there a time though during this Clemson stretch where South Carolina fans were going, is this ever going to end?" Like they're just on top of the world. <laughs> Everything comes up rainbows, and then. Now you look at it, the I mean, at least for right now, it has been a steep drop off for Clemson and just how beatable they feel. And you're sitting here, honestly, with a two and six South Carolina football team. Like I said yesterday, a lot of Gamecock fans, I think, actually, as upset as they are about this season, are looking at Clemson saying, Man, that's a beatable team at Williams-Price Stadium. It really is.
2: Well, everything in college football comes in waves. Back in the 90s, everybody thought that Nebraska and Tennessee were going to be powers for the next 50 years, and look how that's turned out since then. So everything comes to an end at some point, and I'm not saying that Clemson's reign of terror of being one of the best teams in college football is over necessarily, but they're definitely taking a step back this year, and we'll see what they can do in the years uh, down the line. For sure. I mean, I, I think... When when you see
3: what has happened for them at quarterback and wide receiver, that to me is where they've taken the the sharpest drop off. Like right. I, I just remember how dynamic they were. It wasn't just the quarterbacks, they were so dynamic down the field, making plays one on one. They're gonna out athlete you. Right. And even when Clemson had bad games, I know you were always waiting on those receivers to go off, I feel like.
2: Right. So this rant last night. Brings up an interesting question I want to pose to you guys on the other side of the break about asking questions to head coaches. With that coming up, you're listening to the GameCock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler Weston, Chris with you on Halloween here on the game. We'll get
0: to Gold Line. We don't necessarily correlate with what it's. You know, after five years at Clemson, if I've only got 35 wins, there's going to be a new coach here. And you know what? There should be because there's a different standard. And uh, so, he's exactly right. Uh, they ain't Alabama, they ain't LSU, and, and they're certainly not Clemson. And uh, you know, that's why Carolina's in Chapel Hill, and USC's in California. And the university in this state always has been, always will be, Clemson.
2: Welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler, West and Chris, along with you, uh, Captain Dave, digging up the old clip. uh, I believe that was also from Dabo's call-in show years and years ago where he went on another pretty famous rant. That went in reference to something he thought Spurrier said, but it was actually Todd Ellis, and that was his uh, response. But Chris was telling me apparently that was set up and staged a little bit when that happened. That's the... The theory, that's, at least—that's the—that's the- that's a theory. The, uh, it's a theory. A theory. That's
3: the canon, though. Like I feel like, as far as <laughs> that's been canonized, that's what most people think happened. Um, good, interesting times. That was when South Carolina. That was that rant was designed to distract from the fact that South Carolina was beating Clemson every year at the time. That's fair. Is, is what was happening, but um, it's eleven twenty-two. I can feel. Sometimes you just get this feel of what everybody is thinking about right now in Gamecock Nation. Yeah, I think we've reached our Dabo limit for the Gamecock Central takeover. Can
2: I ask one more thing in no. reference to this? Yes, yes. Tyler. Because I want to get your Tyler. Pers- I want to get your perspective on this. Don't worry, we'll clip that. I promise. Um, this Tyler from Spartanburg, two and a half minute long question, really went in on a lot of things there. I see this get brought up a lot, just specifically looking like Coach Beamer's pressers every single week. Um, People tweet at you guys, or not specifically you guys, other people at Gamecock Central. See it in live chat. Why aren't you asking this question more directly? Why aren't you asking about this? Why aren't you asking about that? When it comes to media, there's a relationship aspect that you have with coaches that you can't just be like, Hey, coach, you're getting paid $7 million. Why are we two and six? What's going on here? Like, he might answer that question, but probably won't answer any more questions after that. Like you have to have a balance here that I don't think a lot of people necessarily think about where you can't just go in and be as direct and blunt and, you know, rude to some degree like Tyler from Spartanburg was last night.
3: Yeah, and I, I don't really do the press conference thing anymore, but I, I think that a lot of times what I see is when people are saying, hey, why don't you ask him about this? Why don't you ask him about that? That very question has been asked at some point Especially now time. likely in a much more polite way <laughs> right and um, but uh, that's that's one of the there's probably we could probably write a list of the 10 things you will see when your team is losing. And flowchart, yeah, one of the 10 things you will see is people getting mad at the media for not being hard enough on the coach and why didn't you ask this question? But nine out of ten times that exact subject has been talked about, has been responded to, and yes, there, there, we talked about this with Colin when he was uh, on his way out his final day. We were talking about, hey, what's your your worst questions you've ever asked? And he was talking about how you can kind of a lot of times get to what you're trying to get without being a complete fill-in-the-blank for a mean person. Right. And, I think for for the regular old fan who's just commenting on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or message boards or whatever, they aren't going to understand that aspect of it, it's easy to say that when you don't know the coach. Sure. But there's a right and a wrong way. You can question a coach without being completely disrespectful to them as a person.
4: I also think that there's kind of a false idea that, like if Wes did go in a press conference and ask a mean question, or, or ask it in some forward manner, that that would make the results be better. Sure, it, it wouldn't. You know, a, a lot of people say, "Ah, oh, well, you're holding the coaches accountable." That's not really our du- like. This is, we're not political journalists. You know, <laughs> going to ask somebody about a bombing in another country or something. Um, it's it's a lot different, and it's and it's different now because there are so many voices out there. Just go on Twitter during a game after one snap or at the end of the game. You'll see plenty of opinions, right? You'll be able to judge. You know, the reason that Will Muschamp was dismissed at South Carolina was not because the media asked a bunch of mean questions and quote-unquote held him accountable, right? Because ultimately he didn't get the results that were required, and certainly fans and donors had their say about that throughout the tenure, at the end of the tenure, and that was the decision that was made. It, it wasn't because of a, the questions we asked or that we didn't ask in the, in that process.
3: Right. Speaking of fans and donors, my, my one final comment on the Dabo rant, he said he answers to the Board of Trustees and the president at Clemson, right? That was the uh, two yes. things he mentioned? Right. I believe so. I heard no mention of donors and fans. And ultimately, that salary, that, Tyler asked about (laughs) is a a big part a huge part of that if you kind of peel back the layers is being paid indirectly by those donors and fans so yes ultimately he does work for the president the BOT but you do work for the fans as well so there is a there's a slippery, slippery slope there I think
2: well, uh, we'll cleanse our palates from the Davo conversation and refixate on South Carolina coming up as we do hear from Coach Beamer later on today at 1.30 for usual Tuesday press conference sponsored always by Pete Aoy and Pools and Spas. We'll discuss that a little bit coming up. You're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. I want to remind you once again, That we still have not had a winner in the Loyal East's special teams touchdown contest. Josh Simon, so close to maybe making that happen on Saturday, but coming up a little bit short there. So $900 up for grabs this weekend against Jacksonville State. If Carolina can score a special teams touchdown, you could be the lucky winner of that $900. Just go online to 1075thegame.com to register for your chance to win. And again, if nothing happens this weekend, that rolls over to $1,000 next weekend when Vanderbilt comes into town for another noon kick. Um, And again, if a uh, touchdown happens this weekend, then the winner will be announced live on the air come Monday morning with Bill and Preston on the early game. Uh, Later on today, a little over uh, about two and a half, about two hours from now, will be uh, Coach Beamer's weekly Tuesday presser sponsored, as always, by Pete Alwine Pools and Spas. We talk a lot about coaches using the presser to send a message to their players where, yeah, they're talking to the media, but they're really talking to their players more than anything else. At two and six coming off four straight losses, what kind of message does Beamer need to send today? I think it'll be very similar to the message last week. And
3: I thought for for a team that was two and five and going on the road and facing AM and a two touchdown underdog, Beamer went in there and, and kind of just gave a not relaxed, but a, a very mature sort of we're not panicking type press conference. And I would imagine that you're going to hear that again this week. I think he'll probably double down on the positives from this past game, some of the progress that South Carolina made, potentially mention some of the things we've talked about, like, hey, this was a detail game, and that the minor details were what put South Carolina on one side of, of losing and potentially being in a position to win the game. I also think you're going to hear a lot of talk about Williams-Price Stadium and how you're you're back at home and how you have an opportunity here to get back right. And I think you're going to hear quite a bit, as we've seen, when South Carolina has played quote-unquote lesser opponents. He's going to point out a lot of the positives that this Jacksonville State team has. And you're not going to have to look far if you're Shane Beamer because – within their conference, within their – the teams they play, this is a Jacksonville State team that runs the football very well. They stop the run very well. They're right up there at the top of their conference in um, a lot of the major statistical categories. They're behind Liberty um, only in some of them. And you have a coach in in Rich Rodriguez who has been all over the country who has coached at the major level um, practically – if not did, invent the zone read. So you have a guy who has a place in the history of college football and maybe is not the most likable guy in the world for some people, but there's no doubt that Rich Rodriguez can coach. And if you're South Carolina, you're going to want to get the attention of everyone, including your fan base, that, hey, this this could be a little bit of a battle on Saturday.
4: Yeah, the two games that Jacksonville State lost this year, one of them was at home against Liberty. They lost that one, thirty-one thirteen, and then they lost a road game to Coastal, thirty to sixteen. So they're seven and two. Uh, they have a, a couple quarterbacks, I think, that can play. Wes, um, unless the other guys, hurt. but but Webb is a guy that can really run, right? So that's going to present a challenge for you um, because it's something that you, know, you got a mobile quarterback for a defense that's had some questions. a a team that likes to play a lot of man coverage. You know, you got to think about that early thing to keep your eye on, get running guys off downfield and having a quarterback takeoff. You have the zone read aspect that can be difficult, like Wes said. I I think Beamer is definitely – because he did this earlier in the year. He did it with Furman, you know, which was an FCS team. He went on and on. He and the other coaches, Pete Limbo in particular, just about how – how senior laden Furman was how hey don't don't be fooled because they're an FCS team they're going to come in here and give it their best shot and I think it's going to be that case with Jacksonville State maybe maybe plus some
2: well and for Jacksonville State a team that's still in the midst of the transition from FCS to FBS they don't get a bowl game this year this is the mm, South Carolina is the only power five opponent they're going to play this year this literally is their Super Bowl and they're going to throw the kitchen sink at it. And again, Rich, and Rich Rodriguez, a very bright offensive mind in the history of college football. They're going to come in here with nothing to lose. And they're going to throw everything they can at South Carolina.
3: Yeah, and they, uh, the rest of the college football world has kind of caught up to – I mean, everybody runs his own read now. But there was a time sure. when he was basically – I don't want to say unstoppable, but it this was – it was something that a lot of teams were not doing until, as we know, everybody – sort of copies what's what's doing well but they were given teams fits when he was at West Virginia and the interesting thing about this Jacksonville State team you think of Rich Tribe being an offensive guy they're actually very good defensively as well averaging uh, less than 19 points allowed per game so they've been very very good making this move into the Conference USA and this is a spread to run offense it is a tempo to run offense so it's kind of interesting you think of maybe a a running team potentially wanting to bleed clock and sort of kind of uh, limit possessions they're going to get to the line of of scrimmage quickly they're one of the fastest paced teams in the country from what I've seen so far but then they're going to just spread you out and run the football so very important as far as Those run fits and getting lined up, getting your feet in the turf and, and being ready. They're going to try to do some different things where they're going to get to the line of scrimmage very, very quickly and then run the football on you. Like Chris said, Zion Webb has some running ability. I think he was actually hurt earlier in the year, Chris, Mm -hmm. and then was back the last couple of weeks. I think, I think he had a concussion from what I had read. So I think he is their guy though, when healthy and, This is a Jacksonville State team that also has started a little bit slow in games, but once they kind of get going, they uh, can overwhelm you a little bit or at least have been able to overwhelm some of the opponents that they have played.
4: Yeah, Webb has, uh, as you said, Wes, has missed some time, but 744 yards, completing just 50% of his passes, three touchdowns, three picks. But where he can really get you is running that offense, running the football. Not that he can't throw, he can. Uh, but he has 82 rushes for 460 yards. So he has a 61-yard long. He has four touchdowns. He's averaging 5.6 a carry. Um, he's a guy who's mobile. He's, he's tough to get down. And so he's going to add another layer, you know, that you have to defend against if you're South Carolina. And for South Carolina,
2: again, while this is not the same quality of opponents that you're playing in the SEC, just how big a win can be just from a confidence standpoint? And we know that obviously South Carolina has to go out there and win the final four games of the regular season, just to make a bowl game and have a 13th game to wrap up your season with. But, you know, having this game being the beginning of your home stretch just to hopefully get some confidence back in this team is really big. And you mentioned playing at home and you look at their numbers compared to home in a way, it's night and day compared to how they play in Williams Bryce Stadium versus elsewhere and having the opportunity to come in and win a game. Now, this could be tighter than you think. I know that, you know, uh, South Carolina's uh, two touchdown favorite, at least early on in the week. If this game was, you know, maybe. Jacksonville State down 7 or 10 points in the fourth quarter wouldn't shock me. But this is a game that South Carolina should win and at least get themselves in the right state of mind going into those final three games of the year.
3: I think both publicly and everything you're showing to your team, you are hyping up Jacksonville State for everything you are (laughs) worth, right? I think internally, closed-door meetings among the staff, you're hoping you can get as much of your rotation into this game as possible and continue to bring bring along young players, continue to try to bring along your depth. We've seen some guys start to enter the conversation, start to get more playing time as the year has progressed. You want to keep bringing that along, keep letting those guys play. I don't think it's quite like Furman where you just emptied the bench (laughs) in the third quarter, but ideally you're going to rotate a little bit more, try to keep people healthy. You know, do, do you bring back a Rashawn Lee this week if he's 90%? Mm-hmm. I don't know. To me, he'd have to. I, I can see both sides because I think you want to use this game as a springboard. And remember when they moved Rashawn Lee to right tackle, the discussion was this is the group we want to go with, and we want to let those five gel together. So would there be quite a bit to gain during this final stretch from being like, hey, here's our five. They're going to go play well together against Jacksonville State. Of course, that is very tempting, but also a game like this, you don't necessarily want to have to put a Varshan Lee out there if he's not completely 100% healthy. So I think there will be some decisions to be made from a personnel standpoint going into this game, but there's nothing quite like the morale boost of being in one of those matchups where just about everybody – gets a chance to get on the field. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves with that. you got to play well first, but that would be the ideal scenario for this matchup.
4: Well, and another part of this is what you said about Vershawn and being able to get your five in there and considering that. I mean, one of those five, though, against Florida was Trey Jones, and he's not going to be available. High ankle sprain, you pointed out last yesterday. Those can be, those can be tough. Those can be multi-week things, so – I mean, you were you were just down so many offensive linemen to where, even if they're not out totally, they're banged up. ball has been banged up. Vershawn, if he comes back, is he going to be 100%? Probably not, because if he were, it would have been said, he's good to go, right? Case and Henry, when can he come back? Because it was said earlier in the season, was it last week? Hey, he, he was close. We thought at one point he may play. Uh, Do you get him back? How's Tree doing? Like, there are a lot of questions, and we'll see what Beamer says about it, but that's a key area to continue to watch.
2: I want to continue on with this conversation about injuries, specifically outside of the uh, offensive line position, because it does post an interesting um, conversation to have this week as you lead up to Jacksonville State. Hit that coming up. You're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. You'd be more inclined to want to sit a guy like him out to get him back to 100% for those final three games of the season. Of course, Juice Wells already sitting out uh, with the broken bone in his foot that's been reaggravated aggravated uh, in the Georgia game. Looking at that, and, and Nick Harvard did a great job this past weekend in the role that he was asked to play can he step up to an even bigger level this weekend? Can he catch 10 balls? Can he, you know, pull in two or three touchdowns, something to that effect? Like, is he ready to take that next step, or is it more still trying to find a balance on offense with these other receivers while your top two are down? You know, I think whether that happens or not
3: will be determined also by the flow of the game. Like, you can't really predict a guy to catch 10 balls for 100 yards and and two touchdowns and have that true just breakout game, but... You have seen the signs from Nick Harbour the last few weeks. I mean, I was looking at the breakdown per game yesterday, and Harbour had one catch for seven yards and a touchdown through, what, five games? Yep. Yeah, through five games. And then he has nine catches for uh, a good bit more than that through the last three. And so... I mean, we've seen it with our eyes. You see it in the stats as well. He is coming along at a, uh, at a nice pace at this point. So I look back to that game last week. When it was third down, you know, when they needed big plays, the commentators mentioned this, it seemed like South Carolina was looking to Nick Harbor. And he was the primary receiver on several of these throws, it seemed like. There was the one Chris brought up, too, where it looked like you got a PI on third and seven, one-on-one ball down the field. I I think you're going to continue to see that, and this could be a confidence-building day for Nick Harbour against an opponent that, again, they've been very good defensively, don't get me wrong, but you would think he's going to have the athletic advantage against every DB they could throw at him this week. So I, I think... You, you really only play Leggett if he is like really close to 100%. I'm sure he's going to want to play, so you're going to have to fight that battle. I think he's a competitor. So I don't want to say one way or the other if he'll play or not. I think that will be determined later on. But it, it could be a big opportunity for Nick Harbour this week, as we saw a big opportunity this past week as well.
4: I wonder if we do finally see the thing that people have been clamoring for since, I don't know, First snap of the UNC game, and that is Nick Carver on a long go ball that he can come down with from Spencer Rattler, because we haven't we haven't really seen that. He has run the, those routes. He has seen some balls down the field. You think about the Florida game, for instance. But I mean the long, you know, a deep post or a deep go down the sideline. That's I think that's what we would all like to see. But but I think in addition to that just seeing some of the other plays that we've been seeing from him, the drag routes over the middle, the shorter passes. No matter what, it seems like his snaps, they have gone up and probably will continue to, to be steady at, at having more snaps than he saw earlier in the season. But especially with South Carolina's injury situation, you know, it is going to be important for him to continue to come along.
2: Well, and I brought this up the other day that you know, while this season, hopefully, again, you went out and you can at least go to a bowl game, Having these reps, significant reps, not just in garbage time, in key games like against teams like Texas A&M, Missouri, and however many more snaps he gets the rest of the year, that's going to be so beneficial for him next year when he would be expected to take on an even bigger role, having significant snaps, playing time, and success this season as a freshman.
0: Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game